you. Father, I pray that you will take the thoughts in our minds, the, the intentions of our hearts, God, that you would take them today as an, as an offering. Lord, that we would offer up to you ourselves, that we would recognize that in Christ that we are something. That we were something that was so much that Jesus went to the cross to redeem us so that we could be brought back to right standing with heaven. And Lord, I pray that you will take your word today, these words today, and God, move us to a place of obedience, to a place of surrender, a place of healing, a place of strength. So that you would be glorified. Lord we pray for one another. We pray for our minds. We pray for our, our emotions. We pray for our physical circumstances God. We pray for one another. That whatever we're facing. That we would experience the fullness. Of the power of the Trinity. In this place today. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for being here. And uh, today we wind up the book of Ephesians. This will be our uh, 33rd week in the book where we have looked at what we have broken down to a book of six chapters, 155 verses. The first three chapters tell us how to live a life that is pleasing or what to, to believe to live a life that's pleasing to God. And the last three chapters teach us how to live it. God has told us everything about who we are without Christ. He's told us how to have peace with God. He's told us that we need to have unity inside the body. And then when he broke over into that second chapter, he spoke again about unity. He talked about earthly relationships. He talked about emptying ourselves of, of impure thoughts and impure lifestyles and turning them over to God. And then in chapter 6, at verse 12, he, he spoke up and he just said, And finally... And I love it that he said it there in that way because what he was telling us was, listen to me, if you believe what I told you in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and if you live it out in the ways that I told you to in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you're going to encounter adversity. He said, so finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In fact, let's just go ahead and read it. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And let's just read those verses 12 through 17. Actually, we'll start in 10. He says, finally. Why did he say finally? Because if you believe what I said in 1, 2, and 3, and if you live it out like I said in 4, 5, and 6, you're going to encounter some things. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We counter that with Zechariah 4, 6, where he says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He says, So be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Because we do all of that, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, girded, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Do you see what he said? We, say, we, we read it this way. Take the Word of God and then later pray. But the grammar in here says to us, well, as you take the Word of God, take it in prayer. He says there, take the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He says the weapon is the Word. He says, but what activates the power of the weapon is the prayer. He says, so you take the Word, and as you take the Word, you take it in an attitude, in a posture, in a mindset, and literally in the practice of prayer, because he says, you, because you believed what I told you in 1, 2, and 3, because you're trying to live it out in 4, 5, and 6, you're now going to have to have a weapon to fight. The power in the weapon comes from prayer, because prayer is what connects us to God through the Holy Spirit, and the prayer being connected to the Holy Spirit is what reveals to us what's inside the Word. Because apart from the Spirit, you can't understand the Word. It's a literary book. It's studied around the world for its literature. And there is no power in it until you connect to the source. And that's why he says then to come in prayer with the Word. I think that I have been impressed more than ever. That prayer is not a bell to call the servants to satisfy some desire we happen to feel. But rather it is a battlefield transmitter for staying in touch with the general. You understand the difference, right? You're somewhere that they hand you a bell and they say if you need anything, ring it. Ding, 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 ding. And somebody comes running. What do you need? What do you want? How can I serve you today? And we have relegated prayer to the bell so that God comes running to say, Oh, what can I do for you? And what he said was, This is not a bell to summon the servant, but this is a walkie-talkie to communicate with the commander-in-chief who can tell you how to win the battle of life. And that's what Paul is teaching us this morning. He says it's here. In verse 12, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Look at your neighbor. What do you need to tell him? You're not my enemy. While it may be impressive to have an enemy that's flesh and blood, they may be able to do some things that you think, oh, wow, that's not the enemy. And Satan, his tactic is to get you distracted looking at the the worldly enemies, when he really says that the enemy you need to be worried about is one that is far greater, far more powerful out of this world. In verses 13 through 17, he calls us to get dressed for the battle. And then in verse 18, he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
That is clearly combat talk. He says, keep alert, persevere. But I want us to look at another passage because, again, when you start building a mindset on one passage, you can often misinterpret or misapply. So if it says it in more than one place, then you've got a pretty good case to back it up. John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Why is, the, why is Jesus telling the disciples to ask it in his name? He's telling them, ask it. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you for the mission of bearing fruit. Now, fruit goes back to Galatians 5. What is the fruit of the Spirit? He says, I chose you to go out into the world as my ambassador to bear the fruit of love, joy, da-da-da-da-da, and on, and you can read it later. He says, but I want you, when you ask in my name, when you come to me as the commander-in-chief, and you call out to me, when you use the battlefield walkie-talkie, and you're walking through life, and life is beating you up, when you're walking through life and it's knocking you down, when you're walking through life and you have become the object of your own life, you cry out to Him and you say, Help! I have a mission. The mission is to bear fruit. I need reinforcements. And He says that He will send the power of heaven to you today. You see, we need prayer for wartime communication because the Scripture says that we will be in a battle, that the war is coming. But understand, it's not just for wartime communication. Prayer is also a cry for peace. He says to us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4, he wants us to pray for kings and, all, and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectable in every way. The reason for praying this way is highly strategic. This, he says, is good. What is the this? The this is praying. He says, this praying is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God says, I've given you the word, it's the sword. And inside the sword are all the answers. And the Holy Spirit is the interpreter. And you're going to need prayer in times of war. Times of war when you're against enemies. Times at war when you're at battle with yourself. In times of war when it's health, when it's relationship, when it's financial. At times of war when it's anger. He says, you call out to me. In fact, in Luke 21... Jesus warns his disciples of times of great distress. And he says, be at watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you can walk in here today and think that you can live the Christian life apart from prayer in the wartime, you have been deceived and you need to say, God, open up my mind. We need prayer for wartime communication. We need prayer as a cry for peace. He says so that it is acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And what do we know the knowledge of truth to be? Paul told it to us twice. He said unity of the brethren. 
unity of the church, that the church would be out and in and among, proclaiming that the love of Christ is greater than anything that separates humanity. He says, I want you to live at peace. That's why the scripture says, as much as it is within you, as much as you have the ability, live at peace with one another. You see, the scripture, the sword, tells me there will be battles. The Holy Spirit empowers me to fight the battle. The scripture tells me to live at peace. The Holy Spirit empowers me to live at peace with other people. The great obstacles to victory is when people are swept up into other things. You understand what I'm saying here? Let me... That's kind of a vague statement, but let me explain it. Satan puts a headline across the TV. He allows it to get on there. And you read it and you become infuriated. And all of a sudden now you are distracted from the main goal. From the main thing. You have an encounter with someone. And all of a sudden, what you went to do is lost. And now you're upset with anybody and everybody that in your mind fits into that group. Satan wants to distract you. He will distract you with words. He will distract you with situations. He will distract you with help. He will distract you in any number of ways. Y'all know last Sunday I told y'all that I was sitting at the uh, red light. And um, the man in front of me decided he wanted his car to be where my car was. So he put his car in reverse and backed into my car. That was a distraction. Tuesday night, there was a lady that decided that she wanted to drive in the lane that I was driving in. And so she just knocked me out of my lane over into a parking lot, veered off of there and hit somebody else. And I'm like... That's twice in one week. That's probably more than some of y'all have had in a lifetime. <laughs> it's a distraction. It's a distraction to be, feel insecure. It's a distraction to be, have to deal with insurance. It's a distraction to go find out where Gail's car is because I have no idea right at this moment. It's a distraction to know that I don't know the late name of the person that hit me the insurance company that she had, and it's been now four days. And I promise you this, every time I started to think about what I was going to say to you, this seemed really unimportant. Where's that car? Seemed really important. And how bad is the insurance going to try to do me over? And then I would get mad. You see, in the scheme of life measured against the eternity of a soul, a lost car is nothing. And so where would Satan be happy? I'm thinking about a car. What would make God happy? Chris, I told you I wouldn't leave you. I told you I wouldn't forsake you. I told you that, that I would stick close to you. 
So let's put our mind where our mind needs to be on the subject at hand and let's get there. And I will tell you, he has been so very gracious, by the way. But yeah, we need the prayer in the wartime. We need prayer as a cry for peace. But, but it even goes beyond that because we also need prayer for the kingdom of God to be on earth. So let's say we went to Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. The disciples were sitting here. They had been instructed to be men who prayed. They had been instructed to be men who had faith. They had been instructed to be men who went out and spread the good news. And yet they were struggling with it. In fact, in several places in Scripture you can find when they struggle. Finally, in the middle of their struggle, they walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, we're not getting this prayer thing so well. Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, yes, I would love to teach you to pray. Which, by the way, if you ask him the same question today, he'll teach you. But Jesus started teaching them to pray. And it, and it went something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You see, what God wanted them to understand was... That their agenda was secondary, maybe even further back than secondary. And that what they ought to do is cry out to the Holy God and say, Hey, Holy God, let's don't make this about me today. Let's make it about you. Let's make it about walking out into the community, into the town, into the relationships. And living out your kingdom here on earth. If you went on down, you would probably get to about chapter 6, verse 26 there in Matthew. And Jesus says to him, hey, don't worry so much. Um, just like I take care of the birds of the field, the birds of the air. He says, I'm going to take care of you. And then in 6.33, he jumped right back to what he taught him in 6.9. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. You see, it's so much Satan-like. To get us to thinking about everything but the kingdom of God. What happened to the stock market? What happened on the news? What happened at my family table when somebody didn't get along and the pie got burnt and this and that? And we get so distracted. And he said, hey, inside of here, I teach you what to do in wartime. Pick it up and start praying. To withstand the schemes of the devil. Hey God, you know what? I struggle so much with peace. Internal peace, external peace. And he says, hey, inside of here, if you will seek me, it says that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So we need to pray for peace. We need to pray for strength in the war. But you see, we can have strength in the war and peace in our turmoil and still miss the whole point because the whole point is to live out that so that people see Christ and in seeing Christ they follow Him, they surrender to Him and they become people who have strength in the battle and peace in life. So yes, we need to prayer to understand how to use the weapon in war. We need prayer to understand how to use the weapon to pray for peace. We need prayer to help us to interpret 
how to live out the kingdom of God on earth. Ephesians 6.17 says it's the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says that it's the prayer that activates the weapon. (laughs) So how? What is it? What are five ways that the Word of God serves our prayers? You could say it another way. What are five ways that prayer helps us to understand the Word of God? You could say it another way and say, what are some ways that prayer helps us to use the sword of the Spirit to fight the battles that God says are going to come because He said, in the evil day, stand, stand, therefore, stand. So what are they? First of all, I think we find that the Word reveals a God who delights in the prayers of His people. Some of you say, well, duh. But have you ever had a moment when you've said, I don't want to bother God with that. That's not big enough. Or I messed up too much. Or what right do I have to come before God being the person I am who did what I did? And the scripture says in Proverbs 15, 8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. His delight. Man, when you bow your head with a humble heart seeking to understand the kingdom of God, God says, you make me happy. The best way I can illustrate that for you is about ten times a day, Dallas takes a video of baby Chase doing something. And I don't care what it is he's doing. He could have just thrown up all over the kitchen floor and I said, oh, isn't he precious? Send me another one. And the the other one can't come fast enough. And that's exactly what God is doing with you. He said, that one that I love so much. That I sent my son to die for. Is wanting to talk to me. Oh you know what I'm talking about right. Moms, dads, grandmas. When that phone rings and it's your baby. You think in that busy life that they've got. That's why y'all are all ought to call your mamas every day. You hear me? In the busy life that they have. God said they stopped to talk to me. And do you understand that that's why you were created. Is to worship him. To glorify him. To bring glory to his name. And when you talk to him and say hey Jesus teach me. He gets pumped. God delights. The word reveals to us. That God delights in the prayer of his people. In fact, in the book of Revelation, John describes a bowl full of incense filling the throne room of God with a pleasing aroma. And the incense that's inside the bowls are your prayers. Inside that bowl with the burning incense, it's filling the room. And God, you just got to picture it this way. God is going, that's my people. They're calling out to me. That's my people. 
God delights in your prayer. So the next time you think God doesn't want to hear, call the devil a liar, bow your head, your heart, cry out to him and say, God, thank you that you want to hear my voice. Thank you. You see, that's how prayer and the word work together to help us to understand the kingdom of God and to have the strength to live it out. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God loves our prayers so much that He commissioned the Holy Spirit. To talk for you. Praying the perfect, perfect will of God. So there it is. The word reveals a God who delights in the prayers of his people. The next one. The word reveals a command to pray. The most basic command, one of the most basic commands of the Bible is to pray. Pray that we lean not on our own understanding, that we do not depend on our own provision, but we look to God. God wants to be our treasure. God wants to be the one who rewards. God wants to be the one who gives. God wants us to worship Him. He's simply saying this, be the kind of people who want me to be all of that for you. Instead of looking for the world, Seeking your treasure, seek me and watch what I will give you. There's a command in Scripture, multiple commands in Scripture to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Philippians 4.6, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Isaiah 55.6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, I put that one last, even though it's in the Old Testament. Because there's an urgency there. It says, call on him while he may be found. Seek him while he is near. It's not a far stretch, nor is it a jump at all, I believe, to say that there will come a moment, a point and a time and a place where you may not have that opportunity so to say that I'll do it tomorrow maybe next week maybe when I get my life straight or maybe when this or that happens I will call on him I will seek him that moment may never be for you that's why he says do it now side note rabbit trail young ladies young men listen to me If you're dating someone and that someone says, hey, when we get married, I'll be in church. Look at them and say, I'll marry you when you get in church. I can't tell you the number of times that we have sat and talked with people and they said, they promised. They said, they might, they would. Seek while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
So how do the word and prayer work together to activate the sword of the Spirit, to give power to the believer? It says God delights in the prayers. It also says that the word reveals the command for us to pray. We also see the word reveals the promises of God to give us hope in our praying. (laughs) He gives it the force of a commandment and the compassion of an encouragement. I've told you this illustration before, but when I was in high school, I ran track, and I was running against the only person at this particular meet that had the ability to beat me. I went around the third curve of the 400 meter, and he was a little bit ahead, and I could not hear anything except my mom standing at the fence saying, you got this. So for me to hear it, she had to be yelling it really loud. So I'm pretty sure everybody else says she's one of those moms. But that encouragement kept me going. You see, God gives you the command. He says, you got to do it. But then with the compassion of encouragement, (laughs) the promises... He calls us. For example, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It doesn't say if my people will watch MSNBC, Fox, and CNN and gripe about everything and then post it on social media and hack off the whole world, then I'll heal their land. By the way, he says, if my people who are called by my name do this, then do I hear, then do I heal. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He he fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. You see, that's a promise. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me. Do you see the the encouragement? (laughs) The promise comes after the call. It's there. How do the word and prayer work together to activate the sword of the Spirit to empower the believer? God says, do it my way. Seek first the kingdom of God and I will meet your need. The word reveals the power of prayer by highlighting it with stories of success. In Luke 6, 12, Jesus tells of praying all night before he made the decision about who would serve as the 12 apostles for his church. Then he chose them and they changed the course of the world. Next time you've got a major decision and you say, oh no, I'm fretting, oh no, I'm this, oh no, I forgot. Hey God, it's a really big decision. Hey God, it's a major choice. In Luke 6, Jesus called out, and you answered him, and you gave him a ragtag bunch of 12 who changed the world. 
God, I believe what you did for him because I've read the promises. God, I believe you'll do it for me. But that's not the only success story because in 1 Kings 3, 9, it tells of Solomon praying for understanding so that he could rule well. And it says that God answered him and gave him so much insight that people came from around the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Would one of you have the courage to pray for that wisdom? God, let me be the voice, maybe not to the whole world, but to my house, to my job, to my community, to my church. You see, a man called out. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, chapter 17 and 18, it tells of Elijah praying that no rain would fall for three years and no rain fell. And then he prayed for fire on Mount Carmel to defeat the priest of Baal. And finally, the prayer for rain, he prayed for rain as he bowed his head before the Lord on the mountain and there was rain and ultimately he defeated. In Romans 15, 4 states the word is the history of God working in answer to prayer. And the stories are written, the accounts are recorded to make us hopeful in our praying. So the word reveals that God delights. The word reveals the, the command to pray. The word reveals the promises of God to give us hope. The word reveals the power of prayer by highlighting success stories through prayer. The word reveals to us content for our prayers. People will often say, man, I would pray, but I don't know what to pray. I would pray, but you know what? What would I say? And inside the word of God, God gives us the prayers of his people from Old Testament to New Testament. He gives us prayers. And listen to me, if you want to pray the will of God, read the word of God back to God, and you have absolutely prayed the will of God in your life. 1 John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Mount Zion, this is the sword of the Spirit. This is the weapon, the offensive weapon that God gave us to understand Him, and how to be his people that live out his kingdom here on earth. He said we connect through prayer. We activate the sword through prayer. I believe God is calling us. To be the people of 2 Chronicles 7.14. To be the people who ask for wisdom. To be the people that have the confidence to bow our heads and say, Father, we have prayed your word and so we have this confidence that you will hear us. The beginning of all of that is a personal relationship with God through his son Christ. That's a must. The second is a life of surrender. God, here I am. 
Teach me, show me, help. Sometimes it's God, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Sometimes it's restitution. Sometimes it's private forgiveness. Sometimes it's public declaration. But God does not abandon His Word. He never contradicts His Word. And He's told us in His Word that the sword of the Spirit, activated by prayer, is sufficient for breaking down strongholds defeating Satan, and bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book of Ephesians. I thank you for what it's taught us. I thank you for how it's challenged us. I thank you for the ways that it has changed us. Lord, I pray that we would heed the word of Paul that says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. God, that we truly would put on the whole armor. That we truly would take up the sword of the Spirit. That we would activate it through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. God, that song has come back to my mind just several times in preaching that that our minds will say we're not enough. That our past actions yell condemnation. Our insecurities hold us back. Our habits imprison us. But God, you have declared through the blood of Christ that we are more than enough, that we're more than conquerors. And Lord, I pray today that there would be something conquered through the power of the Holy Spirit. The fear of surrender, the fear of baptism, the fear of trusting you, the fear of walking beside you, the fear of of, of digging into your word that for fear that it might make us weird or (laughs) um, ask us to do something that we're not prepared to surrender. So God, I ask you, ask you in the name of Christ to speak to us this morning to grant us ears to hear an eagerness to respond Lord we pray as we stand in just a moment to sing It's a time to respond. I'm going to go ahead and ask um, everyone that's going to be standing at the front to come on.
It's a time to respond. Can we pray for you? Can we have conversation with you? Can we point you to the way of salvation or, or get you connected with a small group of people that you can study the word together? Or perhaps you want to come and just pray yourself. That's your opportunity. So let's stand. Fathers, we sing this morning. Let us sing it as an offering and you be pleased in Jesus' name. As you stand, you come. Thank you. Lord, I come.